0: Listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. I want to introduce you to a new friend, someone that's joined the team down here, our staff team at Stonegate, a couple months ago. His name is Sean Spolstra. And Sean is, he's just, he's a ball of fun. So, ball of energy, incredible guy. Uh, I've loved getting to know him. Uh, he's from Canada originally. So, if you hear him say a boot, you know what that's about. Uh, he just, uh, he, he's from Canada, brings all that joy and friendliness, and he's been up in Ohio the, the last couple decades, planted a church up there, and then served on staff at a church as a care pastor, and uh, over the last couple months, made his way down here to Texas. He's got four grown kids, uh, and also has been married to his amazing wife, Melissa, for 26 years, and Melissa's also just such a gift. So excited to have her down here, and also get an opportunity to just join the family of Stonegate. And so Sean's joining our team, leading up a lot of our connections ministry, helping people find their way into community and discipleship here at Stonegate, and then helping out with a lot of our care ministry as well. So uh, let me welcome Sean up to the stage. You guys join me in welcoming this morning. He's going to preach for us. Thanks, man.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much for introducing me, Ryan. I really appreciate that that's my boss by the way so uh, I thought since he introduced me I'd quickly introduce you to my family via a photograph so here's a picture of my family that was actually taken just two weeks ago we were up at a family camp up in Michigan my wife is in front of me there we have been married 26 years in two months it'll be 27 years and that's our son that's beside me there he's 25 and uh, he's actually down here in Houston. He got a job here a couple years ago, so that's kind of fun for us to be kind of close to him. Then our identical twin girls, Who 22 years old. They just finished college this year. We are looking forward to them being, what do we call that? Gainfully employed by September. <laughs> Uh, So that's Abby beside my wife and that's Sarah on the end there and then they're bookending our youngest child That's Rachel. She's uh, almost 20 in September She'll be 20 and she goes to college in Phoenix. So our kids are kind of all over the place the twins by the way are back in Ohio. So we moved down here we are so excited to be in God's country, right? I'm allowed to say that? I think I'm allowed to say that. No, we love being in, in Texas. My wife is originally from here. And as you get to know me, you'll hear stories about that. And, and this camp, this camp we were at, without telling you the name, I'll just say, it's so committed to teaching people God's word and then having just a great time, having a lot of fun. And, and as I was looking at Stonegate and as Stonegate was looking at, at me as a possible hire, that was really one of the things that drew me here is that part of the family atmosphere but also just the just the fun that we can have and I've had this in all the different churches I've had the privilege of sharing in and serving in and and frankly you may not know this about your staff here but there's a prank culture here at Stonegate, okay? As short a time as I've been here, which by the way, is not even quite three months, I've already been pranked. I certainly have been pranking other people, and it comes from Rodney all the way down, and I love that about our culture, and frankly, when it comes to pranking, uh, maybe you're familiar with Gary Chapman's book, The Five, Five Love Languages. I think it should be the sixth love language. That's how much I love pranks. Couple pictures just to show you, just for fun. Uh, the last place that I was at, a couple things that happened to me. Yeah, uh, that was the week I left, by the way. The church in Ohio, I, I left in good terms with them, but that was still happening. Then they took every plant in the entire building and put it, and I don't know where the monkey came from, also the last week. And then three years ago, back to the cellophane and me and my tuxedo, uh, Canadian tuxedo. Uh, They covered my Jeep, and I literally was late to the appointment. It was April 1st, like three years ago. Anyway, the guy who I was meeting with was fine. He thought that was hilarious. The staff came right out. The reason there's a picture of me is because they walked out with me knowing that I was actually going to an appointment and were afraid for me. So they like brought scissors and... Anyway, pranks are great. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about pranks. Uh, We get to prank back right i mean it's fun to get to do that it kind of builds relationship but here's the truth here's the not so fun thing when when we get hurt we we hurt back we hurt back and and because of sin we're hardwired for revenge because of sin we want to retaliate we want to get paybacks we see it in all the movies we watch, the music we listen to. In fact, for, for I don't want to say especially we as men, because women are good at this too or bad at this, depending on how you want to say it. I mean, it, it's the driving force sometimes of our lives, of something's been done to me. And, and I'll be honest, I have been really hurt by people, whether it's in my family, whether it's in my, uh, in my workplace, or whether it's for, for people too in the church. Sometimes people say church hurt is worse than all other hurt because we expect more sometimes of of folks. And so then what do we do? What do we do? We we want to do something, and and, and we want justice. We want, I mean, let's just be plain, we want wrongs righted. We want crooked things straightened, and honestly, we want it done on our time, I I certainly do, on my timetable, and I want it done in my way. And this is my flesh. I'll admit that. This is this is not me living in the spirit This is me living in what Sean Spulster wants for himself and the world that he sort of created Around him. So I wonder if you can relate Even as you sit here this morning as we get into this passage. You've just heard it read Psalm 94 and The fact that there are people that that hurt us and what do we do with that? What do we do with this with this tension? Well, I want to make it really personal for you. I want to tell you at least a story that happened in my life. Uh, Ryan mentioned that I that I planted a church, and I got the privilege of doing that in 2008. It was 14 years ago, and I want to tell you on the front end because I'm going to tell you some hard stuff. But on the front end, isn't Google Photos amazing? It popped up a 14-year memory for me on Friday. And wouldn't you know it, it was the original launch team of the church I planted in 2008. And it was the last service at our sending church. And this whole group of people up on the stage. And I'll just say this. There was some real hurt. There were some people that left that church, and they left very poorly. And you know, I had read the books, and maybe you don't know this, but church planting, that's a pretty difficult gig. Uh, most church plants in America fail, and there's a multitude of reasons why. But here's one of the things I remember reading in a book and thinking, oh, that's not gonna happen to us. You know, most church plants between year two and four have half of their original launch team gone. And and sometimes it's for good reasons, they've been called to do other things, they've moved away. But for my wife and I, for Melissa and I, we had four couples that, and I'm not naming names, but we had four couples that left and they left very poorly and they were our closest friends as couples. And it hurt so deeply. And and I'm no perfect leader, uh, but the situation rose up and I think some of them were tired and I think that there was some shepherding decisions that we had made and as a group of elders, we felt really positive and, and sure of ourselves in making some of these decisions. But then there was some dissent, and then it kind of grew, and and, and that growth then turned some people against us. and, And it was like, what is going on? These are the people that I know and love. And as that picture came up for me just this past Friday, I smiled because I love those people, and I'm actually reconciled with most of those people. I want to be reconciled with all of them, but this is what happens sometimes. This passage will sort of relate to that. I even got to the point where it really kind of stole a year out of our lives as elders, uh, shepherding the flock and, and trying to shepherd manage the confusion. I ended up going to a counselor. I went to a counselor because I just was like, I don't know what they're saying to other people. And my wife and I, we're, we're trying to not talk to people. We're trying to live by our, our character and our integrity, you know, but I don't know what these other people are saying, counselor man. And he gave me some advice I did not like at all. This is what he said to me. Sean, what people say behind your back is none of your business. <laughs> 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 and I care I want to know because I want to control I want to be able to control what's going on and I don't know what they're saying and and it gets kind of it gets away from us so what do we do with this desire this tension for revenge and God what do I do with this I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to say so this is what I want to ask of you today during the message because we're gonna jump into Psalm 94 we're gonna go through some of it and pull up some other passages and a quote or two from a couple places but I'm just imagining as I began talking about my life and some of these topics, you have insults, you have injuries, you have ways people have harmed you and they've already come to your mind. So as a way of a little bit of illustration, object lesson, would you do this, would you put your, put your hand out in front of you, you can kind of have it low if you want, put it out in front of you, and then make a fist. Do not punch the person beside you, that's not where we're going with this. As I speak today as we read God's Word as as these insult these injuries these these harms that have come your way squeeze your fist when they come to your mind just kinda do it down here quietly but just kinda as a reminder yourself and we'll come back to this but as things come to mind yeah that really hurt that thing that happened that injustice that happened to me squeeze your hand just as a kind of a reminder to yourself and then we'll come back to that okay So go ahead and do this. Go ahead and turn on or turn to Psalm 94. And as you do that, let me give you a little bit of background. Ryan just gave you some of it. We're going to be doing the summer of Psalms. So that's going to be kind of neat the next, including today, these five weeks in a row. And the Psalms are, if you didn't know this, we kind of open our Bibles. It's right there in the middle of the Bible. It was collected over thousands of years. Moses likely wrote the first one because he's probably the oldest guy that wrote one that's included. He wrote Psalm 90. And then there was King David and so many other people. And as we look at the Psalms, we see things like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, and as the deer pants for their water. And there's some things that are just like beautiful and poetic and lovely. And then there's Psalms that are, are uh, you know, just praising God, and there's instruments that are mentioned, and there's just, and, and frankly, the Psalms was Israel's song book and prayer book. In fact, it was what they used for corporate worship. It's how they did it and they still do that today. And frankly, we take things right out of the book of Psalms and we put it into our songs and we sing that often throughout Christendom around the world. But it's been around for thousands of years and I'm not sure we exactly know who wrote this Psalm, but you're gonna get to see the real thoughts of an individual, you've already heard them, I'm gonna go back to them. And they're raw and they're real and they're said to a God who can handle, handle our thoughts and our anger, our frustrations, because he's God and we're not, okay? So we're going to dive into this. And just before we do, I want to tell you sort of what the overarching, kind of the main idea, the, the, the big idea is for today. In fact, this is the thing I'm going to be trying to convince you of throughout this morning. And that is this, that God's justice is better than my justice. God's justice is better than my justice okay a couple amens already that's good we're we're heading the right direction then okay that's great so let's do this let's dive into the book of Psalm 94 maybe you noticed this when it got read but I noticed as I read it and was studying for this message that verses one and two are kind of similar to verses 23 or 22 and 23 there at the end. They kind of bookend the entire psalm and they say very positive things or at least things that the author of the psalm is like, "God, I'm confident in you." So let's go to it real quick. So, "O oh Lord, God of vengeance, O oh God of vengeance shine forth. Rise up, O oh judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve," right? Like, "Go, oh God, go get whoever I'm about to talk a lot about in this psalm," he says. Then he gets to the end in verse 22, but the Lord has become my stronghold my, and my God, the rock of my refuge. Oh, there's some really firm belief there. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. And oh Lord God, Sorry, the Lord God will wipe them out. So there's a lot of confidence in that statement. But I'll just admit to you, as we get into kind of the middle, there's some kind of questions, a little bit of mushiness. There's some accusations about different people. There's some real concern about individuals. And then the psalmist gets very introspective about himself. So that's what it is. And, and I bet you, you know, we see this word vengeance. It's not a word we use often. So it was kind of poignant to me, and I'm sure many of you have seen the new Batman movie, right? He's beating up a group of people on a subway landing, and someone asks, who are you? And he says, I am vengeance. Okay, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about God. Now, God is going to mete out things. He is the judge, and it, frankly, is one of his character qualities but it's not typically the quality that I come up with first. I tend to say, listen, God is a God of love. God is the God, I mean, we read John uh, 3.16, that God so loved the world, he sent his son, his only son, to die for the world because of the sin problem that we are all stained with. Why? So that people could be taken out of this future wrath that is coming. It is coming, and we're gonna hear about that a little bit today in this passage. But it's a character aspect, not one I over concentrate on, but the reality is, is God is coming, and he is the creator of this world, and we've just come off of weeks and weeks of being in the book of Genesis. If it's not clear that God is the creator, and if you get to create something, then you get to oversee it, and therefore you get to judge that, that is who we're talking about here. It's the God, the God of creation. The God who created all of it, and He gets to then determine a lot of things in the future, even our Earth future. So then we move into verse three and four, and it went from "You're the God of vengeance" right away to, and I'm not sure what happened in this person's life, but look at three and four: "O oh Lord, how long shall the wicked? How long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evil doers boast." And I wonder for myself, as I told a little bit of that story back in the church planting days of my life, and I wonder for you, have you, have you clenched your hand yet, by the way? Has something else come to mind yet? But this something has happened to where this person is noticing the wicked. They're, they're doing things, and they're bringing harm, and I'm seeing it, God, and I want something to be done about it. In fact, I think he's dealing with, the psalmist is dealing with, it's not being done on my timeline. God, I want you to do it my way. I see these things happening. And then he dives into verse 5 to 7 and goes really specific. Like he just talked about the wicked. How long are you going to take care of this problem in the world? I'm your people. We're your people. The, 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 the Israelites, the Jews, his chosen people. So God, when are you going to do something about that? But now he narrows into this very specific group of people. Look at verses 5 to 7. The wicked is the context here. The wicked, they crush your people, O Lord, and they afflict your heritage. There's a key word to remember. Circle that if you want to. They kill, verse 6 says, they kill the widow and the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. And then they say, the Lord does not see, The God of Jacob does not perceive. So God, not only are the wicked harming your people, the Jew, the the apple of your eye, which is by the pupil, and nobody wants to be poked in the eye, and my guess is we don't want to poke God in the eye by disrupting his people, his heritage, but then the widow, the sojourner, the fatherless, I'll say this, one of the things that just compelled Melissa and I to come to this church was your your deep love. It's one of the distinctives, one of the four distinctives of this church is to value the vulnerable. That's such a beautiful thing. And why do we do that? Because God does. And this psalmist is upset because widows are being killed. There's this word sojourner. It may not be a word we use often, but it could also be translated alien or stranger, or even immigrant in a way. And it's just it's people who've been displaced who are where they aren't normally. And how are people gonna treat them? And I mentioned to you that we were up at this camp in Michigan and the the speaker that week, he taught out of the book of Ruth. What a great little book. It's only 85 verses, it's four chapters. It's a love story, it's beautiful. But one of the neat things that came out of that for me and what I wanted to include in today's message is that within the book of Ruth, is what God has done in weaving in the Jewish society, in his Mosaic law, what we would call uh, a safety net for the poor, for the disadvantaged, for those who don't have an advocate for themselves. And one of the main characters is Boaz, and he becomes this character. Take a it; it'll like take you 20 minutes to read if if, if not less but besides it being a love story it is also really a man who chooses to obey something and I'm sure Boaz would have been familiar with the passage I'm about to read to you out of the book of Leviticus these words Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10 when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right to the edge neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them, and listen, for the poor and the sojourner. And why? I am the Lord your God. I read that, and and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but I read that and I go, for you and I as parents, it's like when we tell our children to do something and they say, why, and we say, Because I told you so, but except it's way more emphatic because this is the God of all God's speaking And this is the Mosaic law the law for his people this Israel is how you are to treat the poor and the sojourner And I think that Boaz was fully acquainted with that passage and was living that out And I think that's amazing and you know when it comes to this principle We need to do the next point I'm making and that is to let God be sovereign so that we can be surrendered. I know there's gotta be someone in the room that's like, surrendered? I don't wanna surrender. I wanna do something about when people do things to me. You know, let God be sovereign so that we can be surrendered. And, and I read a passage like that out of Leviticus, and it's, it's interesting because I think even in the world, even in our culture, people are like, yeah. No, people that are disadvantaged need to be cared for. I mean, they can nod their head to that. The widow, yeah, the, the, the foreigner, the alien or whatever. And, yeah, and the fatherless. Yeah, these people, you know, and there's lots of people that are fostering and adopting, kind of one of the things that we really promote here as well. We want to help the disadvantaged and those who don't have an advocate for themselves. But when it comes to whatever that thing is in your hand, are you able to allow God to be sovereign so that you can be surrendered when it comes to that thing In your life or things that have been coming to your mind as you've been squeezing your hand now I want to kind of define sovereign and surrender just in case you're like well those are two really big s-words like What does that exactly mean? And so when I say the word sovereign we're talking about again What we preached about recently in the book of Genesis all the way back that God started time And he's gonna be at the end of time and amazingly he sits over top of time and you and I We're stuck in time, right? We live this little tiny life and God sees the beginning to the end as though it's one big event. To him, what has happened and what will happen are essentially the same thing because he knows his sovereign will is helping to determine that whether that's in our lives individually or whether that's to do with nations and the world itself. So that's kind of sovereignty, and we get to choose to fit into his plan, and he's a benevolent, loving God. Well, then there's this idea of surrender, and it may be a little harder for us to, to swallow this pill, because it's like, well, wait a minute, I, I, I want to be a man or a woman of action. I want to, when someone, well, we, we just know, we read out of Leviticus, when there's people that are in pain, We're to be men and women of action. There's practical things the Jews were to do, even with their agrarian culture, to help the poor. I wonder for you and I, what does that look like for you and I? How are we helping the poor? How are we helping the stranger? How are we helping the fatherless? This church, I believe, has a lot of practical ways to do that, and I I absolutely love that. But when we talk about being surrendered, it is not... um, I'm not suggesting that we can't do anything. In fact, I think what our culture affords to us, and Ariel, as she was leading us in singing today, she kind of referred to this, the, the freedoms we have, and Ryan mentioned it as well. One of the great things about living in this country is that we have so many freedoms to be able to stand up for and advocate for. I mean, shoot, we can write emails, we can vote, we can appeal, we can put things on social media. Some of us probably need to do a little bit less of that, frankly, I mean, we're allowed even to protest. It is actually in the law allowed for us to do. Our culture affords us lots of things. But I wanna come back to that thing that was in your and I's hand. What are we doing about the people that have harmed us? What are we doing about, as the passage says, the wicked, those who do not have the love of Jesus, guiding in the spirit of god guiding their lives when they bring harm to groups of people or to you i mean this is one of the difficult things and and part of being surrendered and this isn't even giving up this is this is part of the charge but sometimes we feel like prayer is like i want to do something oh, but i guess i'll just i'll i'll pray and i'm like pray Pray is like you're going to the throne of the Father God in heaven himself. We're invited to do that in the book of Hebrews. We should do and we should pray. And frankly, it shouldn't be the last thing we do. It should be kind of, let's hand in hand with this thing. And one of the things that prayer does for us is it reminds us who's in charge. I think that probably helps us with this letting God be sovereign and us being surrendered. Prayer is that it also aligns us to his will because it sort of stops us in our tracks and allows us to say, okay, what would God want me to do in this situation? See, I know that Jesus said something in the Beatitudes and some of the other gospels, like turn the other cheek and I don't know, pray for uh, my enemy. And, And then there's somewhere in there that says, you know, bless those who curse you. And I think it's not hard to look up these passages and realize, wait a minute, the economy that God calls his followers to live in, well, that's really different than the world that I'm living in. I live in a world where revenge and paybacks are normal. And the things that, I again, that I watch on the screen, and I love watching movies. I, I'm not even gonna tell you the movie, but there was a movie I saw a couple years ago with a group of guys, and I left thinking, maybe murder isn't wrong in all situations. Maybe I can just kill the people who take my daughter and take her away, and I'm going to kill everybody to be able to find her. And I've just told you what the movie was. Okay, terrible movie. All right. Okay. But no, we are to be peacemakers. We're to be people known for peace and known for love. But the tension is, I'm still a human that wants to crush those who hurt the people that I love or to stop wrong things from happening and there is actually a lot that we can do but I'm kind of taking it to you and I personally because this person writing the psalm they're going to get really personal here in a little bit they're going to start talking about the 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 the, the wicked again and and kind of making some statements about them but I just want to say this at least to us God is committed take a peek at what second Peter chapter uh three verse nine says it says this here, the Lord is not slow. And by the way, this is in the context of him judging the world and the wicked. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, right? We're the ones stuck in time. This is for God. It's like, hey, it's either that already happened or it's, you know, it's just like to him, it's, but he is patient towards you, God is, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. I mean, do we understand? You read a passage like that, and I'd actually read the passage of verses before and after, maybe on your own at some point. But God's heart is, he doesn't want to do what he knows he is going to do. He wants as many people to be able to come into the fold. In fact, he wants his righteous people, those who have bowed their knee to the Lord, given their lives to him, handed it over, they've surrendered, and they've made him sovereign. He wants us to to invite people into relationship so that they can move from being the wicked and move to being the righteous. And why? Because of what Christ did at the center, hinge point of all of time. Why do we say B.C. and A.D.? And I know some other books say it differently and it drives me crazy, but that's what it's been a long time. but Before Christ and Anodominy. Before Christ, after Christ. He's the center point of human history. He's my savior. And I know he's a lot of your saviors as well, right? He's the one where, and and they will be rescued. The wicked will be rescued from that wrath because of what Jesus did, because of what you and I do in inviting people into relationship with him. Let's go on. Let's take a look at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 really quickly here. So now he begins to talk about these people, and he kind of makes a little bit of fun. There's some sarcasm sometimes in God's word, and I think this is part of it here. This is uh, verses 8. He who planted the ear, and again, he's talking about the wicked here, right, in the sense that he's making fun of them. He's talking about God to the wicked. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's all-seeing. And he's telling us here that God is all-knowing. I wonder if he's hearkening back to, to maybe when... The Israelites went through the Red Sea and God did some amazingly stupendous, miraculous things in front of their faces, right? Or when the walls of Jericho fell. I mean, this is being written to the Jewish nation, this heritage he's going to refer to again. He's telling these people, hey, we can trust God. He's the one who sees all of these things. And this is my next point then. God hears, he sees, and as a word of comfort, he cares. And I think sometimes we maybe get the circumstance in our face and we sort of forget that. That God is there and and, and though things happen in our life, well, he's still there. And even though he may not be taking us out of the situation, he certainly is walking us through the situation. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's committed to saying that to us. These are words that we should cling to. And and I thought this was an interesting quote as I was studying by this guy named Marshall Siegel. He he works for Desiring God. This is what he said about this. He said, God doesn't only give us his word to carry us through our trials, which is what I just kind of talked about. And God is with us through our trials and we can cling to him. He also gives us trials to open our eyes to his word that may be a little harder for some to hear. What do you mean? You mean, you mean he gave me that trial I went through? Or at least if, if, nothing, if, if gave is too hard a word, he, he allowed that in my life? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's times when we veer off the path, and there's got to be a way for us to come back onto the path, and God is an intentional, engaging God. As we learned in Genesis, he didn't start the world by winding up a clock, putting it on a shelf, and walking away, no. He's intimately and intricately involved in our lives. He's asking us to have relationship with him, but he, if you don't even realize this, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, he's pursuing you. I mean, the fact that you're here today listening to my voice, whether that's here in this room or online at some point, God wanted you to be able to hear this message to be realizing, oh, this God of vengeance, he's going to come and judge the world someday. Maybe I need to do something about that. Yeah, We'll get to that too by the end of this message. But this is interesting that God is with us through our trials, but he also sometimes brings them into our life. And especially if we sort of err and we get off the path, there's nothing like a good trial to get our attention, pain in our life to to help us look up to God and say, God, I need your help. And he's like, yes, I know. I'm the one who put that roadblock in your way to get your attention because I love you. And I want you in relationship with me. And he's not whining or complaining like I kind of just sounded, and I didn't even mean to sound that way. He wants relationship with you because he genuinely likes and loves you. He wants you to turn from your sin and turn to him. But I mean, this is a God of, of love, it's 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 an amazing the God that we follow. Now I want to finish off with these last couple verses, verses twelve to nineteen. I'm going to read the first block, and then the second block is a little bit different. So he goes on. The author says this in verse twelve: Blessed is the man whom you discipline. This is kind of what I was just talking about when he talks about God bringing or allowing trials in our lives. Blessed is the man who you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. To give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Again, he's thinking, I know someday that's coming. For the Lord will not forsake his people. I mean, this is the Old Testament. That's great for us to hear and know, right? This isn't just Jesus' words. This is the psalmist saying, we believe God's not going to forsake us. He will not abandon his Heritage again, that's that second time that that was word also word used is also in verse 5 then verse 15 for justice Will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it So that he's sort of turning his opinion and getting a little bit more hopeful right start off with God of vengeance Then how long are you gonna take to do something God then kind of talking about the wicked then speaking specifically about people who are harmed by the wicked But now it starts to sort of turn And these next couple verses, especially 16, 17, and 18, look for the word me and my, and it really gets personal. Who rises up, verse 16, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, it, it, it held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I mean, those are some really powerful, really encouraging words that this one particular individual is saying. And, and we're reading it now thousands of years later, finding hopefully some encouragement in that. I think it's amazing. So now I want to go back to what have you been holding in your hand? What have I been wanting to have control over? That, that hurt, that injustice, that thing that has happened to you. Now, I'm gonna name a number of things. And again, keep your hands down low so that even the person beside you may not be thinking about it. But what are some things that you're recognizing that are they're, they're just taking space up in your mind? I mean, is it things that are going on in our world today? I mean, we watch the news. And we go, oh, my goodness, there's nation against nation. Ugh. Why is that happening? Or we look at our own nation. I mean, here it is, at Independence Day weekend, right? It's Fourth of July weekend, and it's like our own nation. though the decisions that are being made, or this is happening in, in our world. we bring it even closer to home. Maybe it's going on in your workplace. Maybe you got passed over for a job, or someone is talking behind your back in the workplace, and you're like, Ugh. what am I going to do about that? I want... I want justice. I want that wrong to be righted. And I I think back to that counselor, Sean, when people are saying behind your back is none of your business, and I'm like, are you sure? I want to know. But what ends up happening is when we... I'll just put it this way. We have two choices. We have two choices. The choice is to surrender and give it over to God Or the other choice is to get more angry and more bitter And really what that ends up doing is kind of eating us from the inside You realize that sometimes we're angry at people and they're not even aware that we're angry nor do they probably even care and we're overcome with frustration we're bitter we become the people that, maybe it's even, maybe you haven't squeezed your hand yet, and you're like, no, it's in my home, Sean. Would you please bring up my house? Okay, all right, so it's maybe in your home. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's siblings. We got teenagers in the room. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse. Ugh! What am I gonna do? And what I wanna suggest to you today is that we need to take these hands And you can just keep them at your side, but we need to, yeah, we need to like pry our hands and our fingers open, and we need to be people of palms up. We need to say, God, I I can't do this. And isn't this the message of the gospel anyway? Come to the end of yourself so that what? So that Jesus can carry you through the trial. I mean, he's such a good God. I went last weekend to the redemption group weekend. And I had, and shout out to the guys that were in my group. Love you guys. We had a fantastic time. Well, fantastic in some way. There was lots of tears and there was lots of bearing of our souls. But we weren't making much of sin in the sense that we were celebrating it. We were just simply bringing it to the forefront to say, this is my junk. Will you still love me? This is what I've been through. This is what I've done. This is what's been done to me. And it's one of the things I respect about this church is that we get raw and real with each other and then we pray for each other, we process, and then we move forward in a way. And not that every problem's solved, but we've named it. We're not gonna let it destroy us and we're gonna move forward. We're gonna, we're gonna love people. We're gonna be spirit-filled people who, who wanna make a difference and a change in this world. We're going to be not dominated by our anxiety and our fear, but we're going to press into the Prince of Peace and ask him to help us through our trials. The Lord disciplines those he loves. I noticed on my notes, I forgot to say it. And it was one more point. And I've talked a lot about that already. But the understanding is, is when we veer and we go, how can God allow, how can God bring that trial in my life? Well, the point is that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And you may go, what? That seems unkind. And I think, wait a minute. I'm looking at a room where there's a lot of parents here, and I'm one of four kids. You've seen them, and they ain't angels. My wife and I have had to discipline our kids because we don't like them? No, because we love them. And if I discipline my kids because I love them, how much more expanded upon is that God bringing difficulty and discipline in our lives to love us? because he knows best for us. So we're back to palms up and I'll say it again. Let's allow God's justice to be better than our justice. I don't know better. I I don't know how to solve every problem. But I can ask God for help and he can either give me wisdom to know how to solve that problem Or how to walk through that problem with character and integrity and honoring him so that a watching world will see that and go Why aren't you Backstabbing that person that you know crossed you that way why aren't you Doing something about that and I I love God and you know There's lots of things we could say but it's basically us trusting in the Lord And here's the thing uh, James, this verse comes to mind, and uh, have you ever come across a passage of Scripture and you're like, I don't like that that says that that way. Uh, I'm admitting that to you, and I'm a pastor. Like it's, you know, but, and I'm like, no, no, I can do this. James 1.20 says, The anger of man or woman or mankind does not produce the righteousness of God. Really? I mean, don't we have this thing that we say that's like righteous indignation? That's what I have. And... I partner that quote out of God's word with this quote out of a commentary and I think it's two sides of the same coin in a sense that here, God's vengeance, the Expositives Bible Commentary, God's vengeance is not vindictive but it's a response to the evil perpetrated in the world. God created it, therefore God gets to judge it. He's over all of time. Here we are in our little tiny life and lots has happened before us and lots is going to happen after us, but what are we doing to affect this little time we find ourselves in? He loves us, he's over top of us, he cares for us. So let me go back to the beginning of my message as I close. Pranks. Pranks are fully allowed to have revenge with, okay? You can do that, as long as people aren't harmed and as long as property isn't destroyed, Pranks fit within the realm of paybacks. Okay, just to be clear on that. But God's justice is better than my justice. And so I want to just speak really quickly to those who are here who may not be followers of Jesus Christ yet. You may be here and you're wondering, why am I here? Maybe someone promised you lunch and so therefore you came to church and you're going out to lunch afterwards. I don't know. But even you, if you don't have Jesus as your savior, What was in your hand? What's the injustice? What's the injury going on in your life? And if if you have that, then what are you doing about it? I would say, don't get bitter. Whether you have Jesus or not, it's a healthy thing to hand that over and to surrender that. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then I would just appeal to you this way. I can't be up here as a spiritual leader of a church getting into God's word and not say to you, turn from your sin and turn to God He's so loving. He's understanding. He's given you all that you need to have salvation through Jesus Christ But time will run out eventually After the service there'll be some pastors up in the front here some individuals. I'll be here too if you want to talk but you can ask God to show himself real You can ask real questions, but I'm saying there is a time he is the God of love and he sent his son But he is as this passage has reminded us also the God of wrath who will judge the living and the dead And it's his right Because he started this whole ball rolling and he oversees it and he's the king of kings And now to I believe is likely most of the people in the room those of us who are followers of Jesus I mean, it's not like even long-time followers of Jesus don't have difficulty with revenge. I mean, we, positionally before the Lord because of our faith in Christ, are, are holy before Him, but we still have a sin nature. We still don't like certain things that happen in our lives. What for us? And as a reminder, let me just go over our points again. God's justice is better than our justice, and we can nod our head to that. But let's remember that the next time someone harms us, let's let God be sovereign and us surrendered, palms up. Let's believe that God, as the passage said, God hears, he sees, and he cares. He cares for you, he cares for me and what we go through. And the Lord, he loves us so much, he's willing to discipline those that he loves. He is, he's committed to you and to I. And I wonder, Stonegate, what if we truly believed and applied these things in our lives? think of our vision, our mission to enjoy Jesus and to make disciples. How much more effectively could we do both of those things if we were able to palms up, put those injuries, those insults aside and press into our walk with God and say, God, I know you're going to sort it out in the end. You're going to make the wrongs right. You're going to straighten the crooked. I believe you're going to do that, God. And I think for us, Midlothian Waxahachie Southern Dallas it would be changed if we were people who truly believe that let me pray for us let me commit to that let us commit to that today as I pray God we thank you for your word and even something written thousands of years ago Lord can be so practical in our lives God you're You're the lover of our souls. You've sent us your son. You've made a way. You've given us hope. You've given us purpose. God, if we would be a people who would believe that, we could do so many things for your kingdom's work. Help us, Lord, for we are weak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.